And uh, my name is T.D. Davis. Uh, my wife, Callie, was up on the platform a little, go, a little bit ago, and we are just uh, have the privilege and honor to lead this amazing church and congregation. And if you're new this morning, you came at such an amazing season and time uh, because we've been talking about this family, and we've been in this series uh, titled Family Matters. And the subtitle of it uh, is Where We've Come From and where we're going. So we are a church that is celebrating our 66th year of existence. This church was planted uh, in 1952, and uh, that's a long time. But uh, as we've kind of talked about in this series, that um, over the years, um, methods for churches have demanded a change. How many of you guys know that's true, right? Is that um, times change, culture changes, um, so our methods in terms of uh, how a church wants to be effective is going to be something that changes, um, and we don't want to prioritize that because we want to prioritize the mission. And what we're all about uh, as followers of Jesus, right, is the mission of God. And here's what I know. We are a church that has existed for over 65 years, and what's, what's been true about our church is that we've prioritized the mission. We've never let the methods of how we do things begin to become a priority. Several weeks ago when we began this series, I talked about Kodak, how Kodak filed for bankruptcy simply because they began to prioritize their methods more than their mission. Their mission was photography, but when digital photography became popularized, they tried to prioritize the way that they had always done things, and it hurt them. It caused their company and their mission to no longer exist. So in this series, we've been talking about clarity, right? We've been talking about who we are as a church, and our goal in this church and in this series has been to answer several different questions. So let's, let's kind of review. We're going to get kind of up to speed as we finish out this series this morning. And these are the questions we've been asking. Uh, one of them being, what's our chicken? Meaning this, uh, there's a lot of chicken places that exist in our world, specifically in Ponca City, right? Uh, it seems like chicken places are opening and left and right. We got a Popeye's being built right now, not too long ago. Golden Chick uh, got built. But here's the deal. Uh, every church serves chicken, or they should, right? And that chicken that the church serves, uh, as I kind of play with this metaphor a little bit, come on, somebody, uh, every chicken is going to be a little bit different, right? You go to a different chicken place, you like it for different reasons. A lot of people like Popeyes because they bread their chicken with uh, some spicy. You can get spicy, right? And apparently, uh, I mentioned this in one of the leader, leader meetings we had not too long ago, it's not the same as Golden Chick because they just sprinkle the spicy, right? They hand bread it in the spicy. So obviously, big difference. Woo, sorry for stepping on toes there or whatever. No. Um, anyway, but here's the, here's the bottom line, right? Every church serves chicken. In other words, every church uh, serves the good news of God. The gospel of Jesus, the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, recognized our imperfections, died for our sins so that we could live a new and abundant life here, but also live a fruitful life as he conquered death. So do we, as we mentioned, that we become heirs, we become co-heirs in the resurrection of Jesus. I love that about the church, but specifically for us, we ask this question, what can we do better than 10,000 other churches? Not saying that we're better than other churches, but there's something about figuring out about our unique contribution to the large capital C church, right? Who are we on our best day? How do we thrive? So we took surveys, we collected data and figuring out, hey, we're a church with a rich history, but currently today we're trying to identify and focus, man, how do we glorify God and make disciples? Each and every church is called to do that. Each and every church is called to serve what we're calling is chicken, but what is ours? like? What's the recipe for ours? Because when we figure out what we serve and we don't submit to being mediocre, 
we realize that we're going to actually thrive. We're going to actually adapt. We're going to not prioritize the methods of how we could do things, but we're going to stay on focus to the mission of how God's called us to be a unique church in this city, in this community. And once again, I just believe that this next year for us as a congregation um, is going to be a massive year. I'm praying and believing that it's going to be a big year as we clarify, as we focus, and we stay on the mission of what God's calling us to do and who God's calling us uh, to be. So what's the consequence for not knowing who we are? Because that's it's like, why clarity, Pastor? Why are we focusing? Why, why all this stuff, right? Um, if our chicken doesn't taste good, people won't eat it. Just the bottom line, right? And here's what I know, that we got a lot of churches serving chicken that a lot of people don't want to eat. We're not going to be that church. Because here's what I know, that God's love, God's grace, the message of Jesus is one that transcends the realities of who we are. It transcends the realities of the cosmos. It becomes something so relevant to the fact that you and I as living, breathing human beings are in need of a perfect Savior. Because unless you're God yourself, unless you are perfect, man, there's a God that we realize in the reality of life that cares so much about us. And wants to just invite us into a process and an adventure in this life and provide for us the realities of what, what is on the other side of death. To give us hope when we think about such things as death because he's conquered death. And once again, we get to inherit those very things. We could so easily become a church that, that loses focus on the mission um, and get competitive. I've seen many churches do that. Churches get frustrated that, that they're not maybe seeing fruit in their church and they begin to point tr- fingers at other churches. Like other churches aren't doing it right, right? There's a tendency that we could go down a road where we have to shut or close our doors someday. That's, do we realize that that's a reality that could happen? Churches are closing their doors all the time in the day and age that we live in. But here's what I know. If we focus in who we are, if we get our eyes on maybe comparison or looking at what other people are doing, but we keep our eyes focused on, God, who are you calling us to be? What type of church unique are you calling us to be so that we can strive forward, stay focused on the mission, and know and be confident in who you've called us to be? Because, God, we know that when you're on our side and when you're at the center of what you're telling us to do, that there's, we can't fail. So in this series, we've been just kind of clarifying who are we, right? What is our goal? What is, what are you, who are you calling us to be? And, and, and three weeks ago, um, we kind of clarified in a message our, our family goal. And, and to clarify that, we had to, the first step was, was to uh, kind of figure out what was called our, our, our family concept. And we have this chart that you'll see, and we, we played with this, this paradigm, um, and we did surveys, as I mentioned, to figure out kind of who we are, who we are and what's our concept. Meaning that to, I, to figure out our concept, we've got to figure out who we are locally, what are the unique needs and opportunities where God has placed us. We've got to figure out who we are collectively, what are the unique resources and capabilities that God brings together in us. And then the apostolic esprit, what particular focus most energizes and animates our leadership? So we asked a ton of questions and handed out surveys and collected data and figured this out and came to a conclusion in a phrase what our concept or what we're calling our family concept as a church is. Who are we on our best day? How will we glorify God and make disciples? So here's our family concept. If you missed it several weeks ago, uh, our concept is this. This hangs in the background. This phrase hangs in the background of everything that we do as a church. We glorify God and make disciples by adopting anyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. And that helped us identify our goal. That our goal as a church is to adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Anyone and everyone. Until everyone comes to know him, hears this message of grace, 
and forgiveness, that there's hope for our lives, no matter how dark our situation can get in this life, no matter how hopeless we feel. But our mission is to make sure that until everyone, we are going to keep functioning as a church. Until anyone and everyone comes to hear this message of Jesus, right? And then our vision is simply this, a phrase that we're saying, family matters. Meaning that we were created as human beings not to live life alone. The Bible says that we were created in God's image, and I love the character of God. He's community. Father, Son, Spirit. Now, that's hard for our human minds to always grasp that God is three persons, one God. But we see in the biblical narrative that God is three persons. In himself, in his very nature, he is community. And he's created us in his image to therefore be people that understand that we can't do life on our own. That family matters. That being in community matters so deeply to who we are. Okay, so we figured that out, and then we took the next step of understanding, okay, this is our goal, this is kind of what's hanging out in the background of who we are, but now we kind of have to start framing it, because adopting anyone and everyone into the active love of Jesus can mean so many different things to so many people, right? So we have to figure out a way to hold that accountable. We have to figure out a way um, to frame in how we pursue and, and how we uh, uh, continue on and pressing forward in that mission and in that vision, right? So um, we began talking about what's called the vision frame, that we have our, our, our vision in the middle, understanding that, 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 that family matters, and we have kind of this, this goal and this concept hanging out in the background. But once again, how do we frame it in? So really quickly, the vision frame is defined by four different sides. We need to figure out these four sides so that we can move forward and stay focused on the goal. Because how many guys know you can get easily distracted and start going in a different direction? You're like, well, what? Same thing with Kodak, right? Like They were distracted. They went a direction. They began to prioritize other things rather than the mission that they were set out to be a good photography company, and they went out of business. We don't want to do that. We want to stay focused. So how do we define the four sides of this? Let's review this really quickly. If you've been here every week, you've heard this like five times or whatever. You know, it's like, just bear with us. Uh, let's, let's define kind of the sides of the vision frame. Do we have that this morning? If not, let's go to the next. Oh, there we go. Defining the four sides of the vision frame. So uh, mission. And how, what we're calling as a family, what's our family motto that communicates why we exist? Our values. What do our family values say about who we are? We've got to figure out our strategy. What's our family plan to accomplish our goal? And then our measures. What's our family reputation? When have we left a family legacy? So uh, we began to define that. So we're going to review those things just really quickly. A couple weeks ago, we defined our family motto and our family values. First, our family motto is this. We exist to be the church and not a building. We talked about this Christianity 101, that the church isn't something you go to. The church is who you are. Because when we start to think that church is something you go to, it becomes very, what, what can I get from it, right? But as the church, Jesus has called us to be people that go, to be active in our faith. And when we really understand that church is not a building, it's, it's who we are, we begin to really own that. So I love this. This is our motto, that we would be a church that people feel outside of the walls of the church, right? That it wouldn't always be about what's going on inside, but it would be about us spreading ourselves throughout our community, throughout our relationships, throughout the influence that we have, and allowing the church of Jesus to bleed into every area of our life and community. Amen? Be the church, not, not a building. Sorry, that's our family motto. Then we defined our family values, just to recap. And these are our family values. Number one, our family's table always has an open seat. We are tight-knit with a mission to never stop expanding. We're not going to be exclusive, but we're going to be intimate, right? We're going to have a table that's open for everyone. Number two, our family's kids are today's future. We believe the next generation is now. We prioritize the kids in our family. 
Our family's neighbors are worth the risk of failure. We operate with big faith to make our neighbor's family. Man, we want to make sure that each and every person that, once again, surrounds us. If you're a living, breathing human being, you are, you, you're the perfect fit for the gospel message of Jesus, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Number four, our family's city is the subject of our heart and the object of our love. We desire our city and community to experience the goodness of God. We're not going to tell our city who it needs to be. We're going to listen to our city and respond to the needs. Amen? Uh, Number five, our family's members are the greatest opportunity for leadership. We see that the best leaders are developed in the house. Man, the best resource for the church isn't money in the bank. It's people. It's living, breathing human beings because when there's human beings in the room, there's potential for greatness. Come on, somebody, because God has called each and every one of us to greatness. Lastly, number six, our family's home displays the standard of heaven. We gather with excellence, vibrancy, and passion. The place, the space that we meet in, we happen to meet in a very old uh, elementary school that's under process and renovation. Come on, somebody. But it's a big building, so it takes time. So have patience. If y'all are coming in the room and being like, I expect everything to be perfect, this might not be the church for you. Because more than anything, we prioritize the development of people. And we know when we do that, the resources come and follow. Come on, somebody. So um, these are our values, right? And uh, Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. It it resonates with us. It's like, yeah, come on, this is who we are. Like, we're going to move forward in these things, right? But once again, this is just one of those sides. So we've defined our motto. We've defined our values, right? And then last week, we talked about our family plan. Uh, And this is our family plan. You've got to have a strategy to accomplish it, to accomplish the mission. Anyone and everyone, well, we can't. That just doesn't appear. We've got to be strategic. We've got to understand what's our plan of action to do this. So we've talked about this. This is our family plan. This is kind of the plan that we've set in stone with our family and saying that, that first you've got to move into a household, right? We just want to make sure that, that the move-in process for people, visitors at our church, that people can get comfortable, that people don't feel like they need to, like, start emptying out their pockets for the church or, like, you know what I mean? Like, church can get so weird, and, and everyone's first time at church is the hardest. So we've just really prioritized this value that we want people to get comfortable. We want to make sure as people move into this church and this family that we, we, we make it known that that, that that process becomes easy because no one enjoys helping their friends move. In fact, uh, we had some volunteers this week help us move some furniture uh, a, 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 in the building this week, and I was just reflecting. Like last week, I talked about, like, you know who your true friends are uh, when they actually come and help you move, right? So I acquired some true friends last week. That's all I got to say about that. Um, anyway, so once you move in, here's kind of how we function, right? This is the, our family plan of how we function. Uh, as a person of the household, you, you got to grow up, right? you you gotta, you got to mature. That's an expectation of any family, right? You don't just stay a baby. You mature, and you become uh, an adolescent, and then it becomes more of a choice of whether you want to mature or not. Hallelujah, those of you in the house with, with teenagers. Um, and uh, so you got to make that choice, and you got to grow up. you got to mature. Age ain't nothing but a number. Because here's what I know, that there's, there's people uh, w- that, are, that are older that, that have chosen not to mature spiritually or even in life, right? So age doesn't dictate it, but we just want to be a family that says, hey, like, let's mature. Let's spiritually grow up a little bit. Um, hey, we want to be a family that makes friends. Um, making friends with people is so huge. Once again, we don't do life alone, so we want to create a space for you to make friends. Uh, get a job that um, you got to contribute. You know, so for kids, once again, this looks like chores, emptying the dishwasher, taking out the trash. Um, but you got to contribute, right? And if you don't contribute, I talked about this last week, um, you, you, that's kind of called a, a brat, right? I, 
when you're a person in the household that, that just kind of expects everything and doesn't actually contribute, you're, you're kind of a spoiled brat, right? We don't raise up brats in this household. Come on, somebody. Uh, and then lastly, love the neighborhood. So let's review those things. So we have ways that we've created for our church to engage in all those things. Grow up, we do something called Growth Track, which is a class we do every four months that encourages people's growth process as, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus. Make friends. We have small groups. Um, we have eight of them this trimester that, that meet throughout the week, do different things. And you just heard from one of them, uh, Andrea. She leads one. That's a, a jail ministry. It's one focused on uh, reaching people. And they're actually going to be doing it on Sundays uh, during church. They're going to be hosting another church. Because uh, once again, we are the church, not a building. Um, so uh, talk to Andrea if that kind of strikes in your heart. But a part of that is you get to serve together and you make deep relationships. We went and did a, brought a small team to Angleton, Texas to help with the hurricane relief. And uh, we got, all got closer, that group of people, just simply because we just did life together. We served with each other. Deep friendships, right? Um, uh, get a job, so uh, contribute in, in different ways. And then love the neighborhood. We have uh, what's called our four Ponca City events. Actually, I just skipped get a job. Let, let me go back. Get a job, that means ministry teams, anybody that serves on a Sunday morning. So these are the teams that assist to help people move in. Your parking lot, your coffee bar, your ushers, right? We just want to make sure that that we host a great environment for people to get connected initially into this church family. So we need jobs. We have jobs uh, and job openings. And then Love the Neighborhood, we have what's called our four Ponca City events that exist throughout the year. Uh, we just celebrated one on Thursday. We went and were servers for the Chamber of Commerce banquet. So these are just church-wide events where it's like we're going to love on our city. These are calendar events that we put throughout the year in ways that we can just contribute and love our city, love the neighborhood. Um, and we encourage everybody to participate in those things because we want to be good neighbors and we want to be a centerpiece in our community that, that, that communicates God's grace and his love. Amen? And then lastly, after you hang out in the family for a while and you grow up and you kind of do all these things and you're integrated, then we want to push you out a little bit. We want you to move out. We don't want you to stay in mom's basement. I mentioned Peter Pan syndrome last week, right? We don't want you to, I'm a boy, you know, my whole life. No, like, you got to grow up. You got to move out of mom's basement eventually. Like, we're not going to keep you there. We're going to encourage you to then lead, right? Lead one of these things. Lead a growth track. Lead somebody through growth track on a personal level. Don't wait till the class. Lead somebody into that. Man, encourage somebody to get baptized. Lead a small group. Lead a ministry team, right? Lead a, lead a love the neighborhood kind of four Ponca City event, right? Maybe we can put one. Great ideas, man. We're going to have the best ideas when we collaborate together. I'm a big collaborative leadership guy. Like, all the decisions on the pastor, we're going to have a really junky church. We just are. Like, if it was all up to me, no. Like, the brightest ideas are, are when we do it in community. Come on, somebody. So, that's our family plan. That's how we're going to kind of like accomplish the goal. That's what we do. That's all we do. If, we, if something doesn't fit in those things, we're not going to do it because we can't do a billion things. We just can't. This helps us stay focused. This is going to help us accomplish our goal. So that's it. That's the family plan. And then finally, the last side of the vision frame we're going to be talking about this morning, which is called our family reputation. When have we left the family legacy? How are we going to measure progress? How do we measure success as a church? How do we know and understand when we see a win? I love that. I love celebrating wins. But if you don't have any measurement marks for that, it's impossible to do it. It's like, are we making progress or not? You know, I don't want to get off into no man's land and be like, yeah, we just did all this work. But how closer are we to accomplishing our goal? No, we got we to gotta have ways that we can measure kind of our success. And, 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 and it's about our reputation. Um, love what Proverbs 22 verse 1 says. It says this. We just talk about the idea of reputation biblically and what the scriptures say. It says, a sterling reputation is better than striking it rich. 
A gracious spirit is better than money in the bank. Come on, somebody. Your reputation becomes way more valuable than what you have. I love that the Bible shows us that, 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 that there's a richness that comes to our reputation. And, and what are we aiming for, right, in terms of being a family? Because uh, we could so easily become the Adams family, right? Um, don't know if I necessarily want to hang out with those people. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's different families in terms of what we could aim for. Like, do we want to be the Kardashians? Because we could. You know what I'm saying? Like, we could. There, there's just so many different family options of what we want to aim for. But we've kind of created what our goal is and what, what it looks like and what we want it to look like. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and here's what I know that the traditional way of measuring church success has been the three B's. Anybody ever heard of these B's? Butts, budget, and building. What do I mean by that? How many butts you have in the seats? What's your church budget? And what does your church building look like, right? That's kind of the traditional way, right? Churches are uh, sometimes define success. And I, here's what I'll say. There, there's, there's truth in those measurements, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we also want to stay really focused on our mission and honor and make sure that when we, what we're kind of categorizing as success is really focused in on uh, making sure, once again, we accomplish our goal to adopt anyone and everyone into the active and genuine love of Jesus. Come on, somebody. So for us, um, it's going to be different. And really what we're going to be centering um, our measurements on is are we faithful witnesses of Jesus? We, we're going to celebrate when, man, people reflect Jesus, when our lives become more and more transformed. Now, each and every one of us, we're imperfect, but I love it that we have a trajectory that we can shoot for that is perfection. Amen? And this is, as a church, what we want. We want to push people in a direction where it's like, man, I'm seeing God breaking in and healing areas of my life that I never thought possible. Does that demand for you to be perfect? No. And God doesn't expect you to be perfect. We are a work and a renovation in progress. But as a church, we have a responsibility to push people forward in that, right? To aim for that goal. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's look at this. It says this. Jesus, before he ascends to the heavenlies, before he transfers from this realm to heaven, right? Before he sends his Holy Spirit as, as a helper, as an empowerer, he says this. But you will receive, my, or receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know why the church of Jesus was a handful of people and has grown to millions upon millions of people across the globe? Because they were good witnesses. They followed what Jesus said. He said, be good witnesses. Then say, be over-spiritual weird witnesses. Be a good witness. Come on. Be. Christians are so weird sometimes, right? But be a good witness. Get, get in people. I would not be here. I say this all the time. I would not be on this stage as a pastor if Christianity was weird. I just wouldn't. But my life is intercepted with Jesus. Jesus has intercepted my life, and I've placed him as Lord, and I've realized that, man, I don't measure up. But, but Jesus does because he's perfect, and he's died for me. And he fills in all the areas of my life where I'm weak. He makes me strong, right? I wouldn't be here if, if, if this faith thing, if this church thing wasn't actually practical for my life. It's got to break down. It's got to get into the, the nuances and the cracks of our lives, right? And Jesus tells us we've got to be faithful witnesses, from the get-go, if you want to be good at anything, be a good witness of me. Look like me. So we play, we're going to place priority on that. Man, do people look like Jesus? When people start looking more like Jesus, we're going to celebrate it as a church because that helps us accomplish our goal, right? We want to make those measurements and say, hey, look what God's done. Let's celebrate it because we know we're getting closer and closer to accomplishing this goal if we see that happen. Amen? Okay, you following with me this morning? 
Okay, so now we're finally there, right? It's like we're finally going to talk about what we came to talk about this morning, which is our family reputation. Um, when have we made our mark? Um, when have we left a family legacy? When can we just kind of celebrate, yeah, this is the type of legacy that we want our church uh, uh, to leave. So we're going to measure it in this way. Number one, four things. Number one is this. We're going to measure it when we uh, genuinely understand God's love with our mind. And you might notice that some of the language kind of bleeds over. You know, the genuine and active love of Jesus um, is something we want to adopt everyone into. So we're talking about being genuine. We're talking about God's love. But specifically, we're going to celebrate when people genuinely understand God's love with their minds, right? The Bible has a lot to say about our minds, how we worship and honor God with our mind. Matthew 22 Verses 35 through 37, Jesus says this, or it says this, it says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, what? Mind. The Bible places a big emphasis on honoring God with our minds. In fact, in fact Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, like the summary of worship here. Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love that. In church, when we do music and stuff, it's like, well, that's worship. It's like, no, no. The way that the Bible categorizes worship is when we allow our bodies to be for God. Everything that our bodies, everything that we are, we dedicate it unto the Lord. We're saying, God, I'm sacrificing who I am. I'm laying it down at your feet. I'm giving it to you. All that I'm made up of is yours. That is true and proper worship. But then it goes on. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, right? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We got to accept Jesus for ourselves, there's a personal responsibility for each and every one of us to, for it to click up here, for us to understand who God is in our own minds, right? We talk about this all the time. We've got to investigate our faith for ourselves. You don't just inherit your parents' faith if you grew up in a Christian household. It's got to be a personal decision that we cognitively understand and embrace, right? It starts with our minds. Cognitive acceptance and good theology. What is theology? The study of God, Right? we got to have good theology, meaning this, that we place priority in the scriptures, in understanding the scriptures, and in interpreting the scriptures in a way uh, that's responsible, right? Because here's what I know. Over the history and the course of humanity, there have been a lot of irresponsible Bible applications made. There have been a lot of people that were turned off to Jesus because of poor theology, right? In fact, there have been cults, there have been movements there have been mass suicides. People have lost their lives because of poor theology. Do we understand that? So a lot of people are like, well, yeah, like I don't place that big of an emphasis on theology. Like it's just all about love. It's like, well, you're never going to get to love if you don't actually interpret the Bible properly. You know what I'm saying? Like theology matters. Now, we're going to be a church that above the surface, like obviously we're for everybody, but underneath the surface of this iceberg is a deep dependence upon God and understanding that we take translating the Bible, we take understanding how to apply it to our life, what's called biblical hermeneutics, biblical exegesis, that, that's a part of how we honor God with our mind. It's being good biblical interpreters. 
that stay on course, that understand what the Bible says and how we come up with conclusions about how we study the Bible. We want to be so responsible with the Bible and understanding that it is God's word. Amen? So let's talk about this. How do we practically apply this as a church and measure this? Genuinely understanding God's love with our mind. Here's what our practical measurements are going to be. Here's how we're going to know how to celebrate. Um, the number of people being water baptized. Massive. When people step into, the, into the, 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 the waters of baptism, we know that people have gotten to a place where they've received God's love with their mind, understand it, and now are taking that next step, right? So we just are going to place an emphasis on that. We want to celebrate when people get baptized. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be baptizing some people. If you're a person that's like, I'm on the fence about it, like, go, man, go sign up. Go start dialoguing with somebody about what baptism means. Start understanding it, right, with our mind of what this decision means and it simply means, once again, just an outward expression of what God's doing in your heart. It's almost like a wedding ceremony where you gather people to celebrate. As a family, we want to celebrate as people take that next step into the waters of baptism. Amen? So that's one of the ways that we're going to celebrate that, right? Another way we're going to celebrate genuinely understanding God's love with our mind is the number of people in the growth track process. I mentioned it. We do this thing called growth track. It's a set of classes to help you as a person grow every four months. So we're going to look every, every single year and say, man, how many people went through growth track? And we're going to say, man, based on that number, we're going to celebrate it. Or based on a low number, we're going to say, hey, how can we make this more applicable? How can we stay focused on the mission and make it applicable to people's lives? And then lastly, the number of resources utilized. Uh, we have a library at our church um, that because this used to function as a school. So we have a lot of free resources for you to check out. Um, here's what I know. Like, I graduated Bible college, let's see, December of 2009. Um, and I've had to be committed to being a lifetime learner. I have. I just have, like, a lot of people are like, well, I just, like, need to go back to school for this or that. It's like, no, like, just read a book. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we, we, we put resources in our resource center because it's like, I could sit down with you for, like, 20 hours, or you could just digest this on your own by just reading a book. So we're just big about a church, like, just getting good resources in your hands. Like, hey, like, you, you, you need to, like, learn about finances or, like, budgeting. Like, rather than us having, like, this extravagant experience, like, just pick up Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey and have your life transformed. I read that book, it transformed my finances. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's next steps that we can take where sometimes we just are, are, are almost like just enabling our own growth. So we're going to, one of the ways you can honor God with your mind and understand God's love is with good resources. So we have a resource center where we sell things, but we also check out books for free. So you don't even have to pay any, anything. So it's awesome. So we're looking at that too. Like, what, what resources are people picking up and engaging with? That's huge in terms of how we honor God with our minds. Does that make sense? Now we kind of understand like how we celebrate and understand God's love with our mind. Huge, huge thing we're going to prioritize. Number two is this. Genuinely feel God's love for others with our heart. We got to be people that love people. Like, we can't really avoid people if you're, if you're living on this earth, right? You got to come across people at some point. Uh, you came from a human being, uh, and you're going you're gonna to die eventually, and you're probably going to come across other human beings during this lifetime, right? Um, so we just want to make sure that we are people that love people. God has prioritized this in uh, the way he has designed us as human beings and the way he's designed the world that we live in, right? Let's look at a few scriptures. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Uh, Paul is writing, uh, the apostle Paul, he's writing uh, to this ch church in Colossae. And he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if, you, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Be healthy in the way that you, you hand handle conflict resolution. Come on, somebody. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put 
on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love that. Love is prioritized more than anything else. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Oh, the kicker of all kickers right here. Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Here it is, Matthew chapter 5. You want to hear a good sermon? Don't go on YouTube and, like, Google Stephen Furtick or any of these guys, right? Just read Matthew chapter 5, right? It'll, it'll rock your world. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's an old kind of proverb of the day during this time as Jesus was speaking. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Work in progress. Anybody, come on, come on, that you may... Be children of your Father in heaven. It's revealing God's heart. When we love people, guess what? That's a revelation of God's heart. Like, we always just throw God in the judgment category. And it's like, wait a second. Like, how is God revealed in the scriptures? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Once again, we have perfection to strive towards. We're not expected to actually be perfect, but I love it because we can always aim for that. We know what the focus becomes. Compassion for anyone and everyone. We want to bless anyone and everyone. I love that we just did the Chamber of Commerce banquet um, and our very own Tracy Wyatt helped uh, kind of lead this thing that we did on Thursday where we just serve people in our city. And here's, I'll be really honest, like one of the things we recognize in our city is that there's a big social divide. So people have opinions about the social classes, right? Um, so here's, here's, the, here's the unfortunate thing, and I just want to confront this right now, is the unfortunate thing is there may be some of you in the room that said, I don't want to participate in that event because I don't want to serve the uppity people of Ponca City. But, but how many of you guys know that, that that's not a biblical viewpoint? Because there's something about you that says, hey, yeah, I'll serve people on Thanksgiving because it makes me feel good that I'm, I'm greater or it makes me feel good that I'm serving somebody that doesn't have as many needs. What about serving people of different social class? What about anyone and everyone? What about everyone's created with dignity and respect? I want to confront this right now because the only way we're going to actually bridge that gap is if, if we bring unity. If we serve people that we maybe have opinions and judgment about that we've created enemies for. But Jesus says, what? Love those people. I don't care if those people have persecuted you. Because if you strive for perfection, if you strive for Jesus, come on. We're going to bridge the gap between those divides that exist. The divides are an opportunity. So I just want to just, just kind of distinguish or like just extinguish th- that, that viewpoint. That like, come on. Everyone should serve and understand that each and every person, no matter if they make more money than you, no matter if they make less money than you, is created in God's image and deserves to experience the goodness and the grace of God. Come on, somebody. That's the kind of church we are, and we're going to hold ourselves accountable to that. Woo, kind of went off on a tangent there. Here we go. Uh, we want to bless anyone and everyone, but here's, here's the truth. You can only bless at the proportion that you build. We could stay where we're at right now, and we will always have the grace to, to, to bless at that level. But here's what I know. God wants to build something. God wants to bring an increase. And when we bring and we build into people, when we build and we stay focused on what God's calling us to do, the capacity for us to bless increases. We will be able to do more things than we never thought possible. But we got to build, 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 and be faithful to that. So, This ties into how are we going to practically measure this whole idea of having a heart for other people. 
Having a heart for other people means that you sacrifice your heart. You have a big enough heart where you're saying, I prioritize my investment into those other people, right? Here we go. Our practical measurements. Here's how we're going to measure this. The number of people who have committed to being heart and soul. What does that mean? We have in our growth track, the last class that you take is something called heart and soul. It's finding all about the DNA of our church, which we've been kind of identifying and focusing in on this series. But it's simply making a decision. Am I going to be kind of a covenanted person in this community? Am I going to go above and beyond? Am I going to officially become a member of this community? These are the people that are being generous in their finances. These are the people that are going above and beyond and actively serving genuine members of the church. It's a decision that we, that, that we make because we understand that there's value in investing in people and there's value when people go above and beyond. Here's the deal. Like, the church just doesn't exist, like, just to exist. But there's people that are carrying this church on their shoulders by showing up, using their time, talent, and treasure to bless and believe in what the mission of this church is. So one of the ways that we're going to really practically measure that is who's going above and beyond, who are the people in our church, the number one resources that are saying, I'm a committed person. I'm an active and genuine member of this church going above and beyond to invest. Transitioning for, from church being all about me to actually contributing from consumer to contributor, right? That means something because it recognizes that we don't only have a big heart for people, but we act on it, right? And then lastly, the next thing, our heart for the house, meaning this, our church's finances. We do a thing called the heart for the house every year. It's coming up in in several weeks, and we're going to do a week-long fast that we're going to talk about a little bit next week leading up to it. But this is a time where we just come before and we say, above and beyond, I'm going to give of my offering. I'm going to give an offering. I'm going to pray about it and figure out what, what decision I'm going to make to contribute to some of the projects that we want to do at our church. And I'll give an update on kind of some of the projects we accomplished last year, but I'm looking forward to another amazing year. And once again, this is a very old building, nearly 100 years old in some of the oldest parts and, and, and it needs some renovation. So once again, that demands in order for us to change, we got to keep building, right? We got to keep investing. So these are ways that we're going to measure. Like, yeah, like how, how, are, how is the love for others actually manifesting in ways that people are serving and the ways that people are actually supporting, right? So those are the ways that we're going to really measure that and say, hey, how are we doing? Are we, are we, are, are, how big is our heart? You know what I mean? How, can, we, can we celebrate this? You know what I mean? When, when people go above and beyond. Let's celebrate when, when people give an offering because they felt like God told them to give that set amount. Like, we're going to celebrate those things, and we're going to pay close attention to know, hey, man, that gives us something to celebrate as we move towards the mission that God set before us to adopt anyone and everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Amen? All right. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, number three, three, three out of the four. Here we go. Actively spread God's love with our feet. Actively spread God's love with our feet. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, let's look at the scriptures really quickly. I love this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Oof. I love this though. This is interesting. We had these Pharisees, these, these people that like were obsessed with the Bible with the Old Testament during this time, right? The first two-thirds of the scriptures, when you hold up a Bible, right? That's called the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And, and these people, these teachers of the law, were so rehearsed in teaching these principles in such profound ways. But Jesus began to confront them because they began to add things to it. They began to add all these additional rules, and it began to oppress people. So Jesus was constantly confronting these people, but I love it. He's saying to his disciples, he's saying, 
hey, when they teach something, be careful to do what they tell you because guess what? That's good teaching. But don't be like them in this way. Don't just talk about it and never do anything, right? you got to practice what you preach because these people are oppressing people with all their rules and regulations, but they're not actually following through. We're not actually seeing their feet move, right? Practice what you preach. 1 John chapter 3 helps illustrate this even more in verse 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Whoo! Can't just talk about it. Got to actually get our feet moving, right? Got to actually do it. Now, using the love, in, the Bible has a lot to say about our speech and in using our, our tongues to encourage and, and uplift and lift people up. But the point that Jesus is making right here is you can't just talk. You can't just only talk. You can't be exclusive to just talking about it. You can't just be exclusive to getting on your, like, high horse and preaching to everybody. You actually got to let the gospel be felt in your life and in your actions, right? And here's what I know. The best theology, the best study of God that we can ever have is the one that gets our feet moving. It's the best theology. You know why? Because it's something that we study, we study, we study. How many of you guys know it can go in the brain and stay there? It can go in the brain, but it needs to transfer to the heart. You got to have a heart for people. But then it has to also transition from just making you feel warm and fuzzy and loving people on the inside to the point where it's got to get to your feet where you actually start loving on people. The best theology is the one that gets your feet moving. You could be a scholar. You could have a Ph.D. in biblical studies. But if you never get up and actually love people, your theology stinks. Come on, somebody. Theology, our study of God, has to actually create movement or action or else it's just hanging out in your brain and it actually does nothing for anybody. It doesn't make any progress whatsoever. Come on. So how are we going to measure this one, our practical measurements? When we talk about actively spreading God's love with our feet, here's our practical me measurements. The number of people involved in ministry teams. How many people do we got showing up on Sunday serving? How many people do we got getting involved, right? Our ministry teams are structured in a way where we've built it out where there's a leader over every team, but then we have people that can be in charge of the weeks called team heads. These are people in, that are the leaders uh, of the team. So we've built that because we want to get more and more people involved. We want to get more and more people realizing that they can replace themselves out of a job to invite somebody else into a process. This is huge. Serving alongside people and multiplying yourself out of a job is massive. So we want to see how many people do we, we got doing that. Because that's awesome. That means it's transferred from head, heart to feet, and we got people on the ground that are, that are helping and serving and making sure people are getting comfortable and moving in and, and being a part of our community, right? Number of people involved in our hashtag for Ponca City. These are our events, right? It's like our Chamber of Commerce. We're going to look at that. We're going to celebrate that we had like, I think it was 30 people show up on Thursday night to help serve our city by just being waiters, right, and servers and putting chicken on plates and blessing people. And making sure we're not spilling tea or wine or, you know, it's like, I felt so nervous. I, it was my first time. I was just like, I'm going to screw it. I'm so clumsy. You know, it's like, guys, can we just lay hands on me? No. Uh, okay, and then the last one, number of people involved in small groups. And you might say, well, how is that, how's that, like, how's that me, like, moving my feet and actually displaying God's love? Meaning this, like, we, you know you're a faithful witness of Jesus when you display and represent what community looks like? That when your life is filled with rhythms of getting with others, it represents that family begins to breach the walls of our own family walls, right? Here's what I know. Like, we live in a very individualized culture, but we live in a very family individualized 
city. That rarely do we breach the walls of the individualization of a family unit. And for some people, they don't have stable family units. And this is why the church becomes so important. Because we want to extend family to those who maybe don't have it. But we want to become a spiritual family. Man, each and every night, I pray for my little three-year-old. I talk about the blessing it means to be his earthly father. But I also, there's something powerful about him hearing my prayer and saying, but Lord, we're thankful that you're our heavenly father. There's something about a spiritual household. There's something that transcends even where a physical and healthy family household happens. There's something about God's family. There's something about adopting others into that. Amen? So getting in small groups begins to witness to others how we do life. It's not just about sometimes our private family, but it's about the fact that we collectively are a family. And that illustrates and witnesses to others something so powerful, something so healthy, something so life-giving, and something so hopeful. Amen? So that's the way we're going to measure it. Does that make sense, everybody, and how we're going to measure that? Just kind of say, hey, this is how we're going to kind of like say this is, this is how we're going to celebrate success. Uh, and then lastly, so we're on the last one. So the last one is this. <laughs> yeah, woo, I'm trying to get out of here. Go to lunch. Um, anyway, yeah. God bless you. Um, we know that guy's hungry. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> number four, actively bring others to God's love and repeat. Actively bring others to God's love and repeat, meaning this. Let's look at the Great Commission, what Jesus told us to do before he died on the cross, before he rose again. He said to his disciples, he said this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I misspoke. This happens actually after the resurrection of Jesus. But once again, this is what God has commissioned his people to fulfill. Go and make disciples. Go. Be active. Now, once again, we're going to be a family that makes sure people get comfortable. But, but there comes a point where it's like, man, we gotta, we got to start owning the fact that if we're followers of Jesus, he told us to go. He told us to be disciple makers. He told us to be people that lead others into what it means to following Jesus. These are two Christianese words that we talk about sometimes in church, evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism means telling somebody about Jesus. Discipleship means mentoring or leading or being, having apprentices who are led, being a leader in your life and leading people in the right direction towards Jesus. I love what Jesus said even several chapters before that, though. He talked about an issue, an is issue he saw, and an issue that actually becomes very relevant to us in the modern church today. He said this, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love that, right? There it is. People on the fringes. We can reshuffle the deck in church all we want, you guys. We can grab other people that are like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm just disgruntled and I don't like the church I'm currently at. That's cool. We'll get that. I like that. I like that we can actually, like, say, hey, we, if, if you want this to be a place to grow, that's great. But we're, we're after people that are on the fringes, people that maybe haven't found Jesus yet. We want to be a church that helps bring others who don't know Jesus to Jesus. Come on. 
So Jesus is seeing these types of people, and he's saying, man, it's, they're just, they don't have people to follow. Because then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus identified a laborer problem even while he was ministering, recognizing that in the human capacity he submitted to, this thing needs a community. This thing needs people that are going to sacrifice their time and their life. This thing needs shepherds. This thing needs people to make disciples. This thing means that people can't just rely on the head guy, right? Jesus as the head, pastors as the leaders of the church. It can't all be on the leader's shoulders, but we best execute the mission in community where we all say, hey, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to carry my weight, and I understand that God has called me to be a harvest field worker because the harvest is plentiful. If we want to go doom and gloom, we can, but according to the Bible, the harvest is plentiful. Come on, somebody. There are opportunities to minister in the day and age that we live in that people of generations before us couldn't even imagine in their wildest dreams. You know that we have an advantage more than some of the Old Testament guys like Moses? Man, the scriptures talk about this. We have such an advantage in the time and the season that we live in right now. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need more laborers of the harvest. So what does being the church look like for your life? And here's what I love. This is why we exist, to make you thrive in your own life. Whatever marketplace you work in, once again, it's like we get to be so inward focused, like this is all about the church. It's like, no, like we, we want to invite you into a family so that you thrive in your career, so that you thrive in your everyday life. You thrive at being a student, that all of the leadership of Jesus begins to transcend into the practicals of today, becoming a faithful witness. Man, you're going to thrive. The more and more your life looks like him, the perfect one, it's going to help your life thrive in each and every area. That's what we're about. And saying, let's move together as a community towards Jesus, understanding that there's a practical thing. We're not just playing church here. We're understanding that when your life gets intercepted with Jesus, something practical happens on the ground for your life. You begin to be able to forgive others that you weren't able to forgive before. You begin to be able to befriend your enemies that maybe you've held grudges against your entire life. You begin to have the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit as God has given us to help us. witnessing, influence, and leadership. So how are we going to practically measure this one, right? This is the last one. How are we going to celebrate our wins as a church? Actively bring others to God's love and repeat. Our practical measurements are this. The number of ministry team leaders and team heads. I mentioned this before, that we have different ministry teams with leaders who then have other leaders that are underneath them who then should have other team members underneath them. We've structured it in a way where we're saying, hey, who's stepping into leadership? Who's leading teams? Let's celebrate those things because we know that we're creating a capacity for others to come along. We're getting out of the way so that others can move in. We're moving out so that we can make room for others to move in. We're looking at number of small group leaders, apprentices, and small group multiplication. What you'll learn about in our growth track, one of our classes is called uh, multiplicative leadership. Our small group system is based on multiplication, meaning this. You can be a small group that just exists and it's like the same eight people over and over and over again for like 20 years, but that's not what we're encouraging. We're saying, hey guys, each small group, have an apprentice. Bring somebody along that maybe is interested in launching a small group, and then at the right time, we will multiply. 
and maybe a group has to get torn apart. And the eight ladies who love meeting with each other are like, dang it, but guess what? We're making room for others to experience what we've experienced. When we start getting selfish in what Jesus has done for us, the world stops actually sensing what Jesus has done for us, and it becomes some personalized spiritual experience, which is completely contrary to the gospel. We're making room for others. So we're, we're noticing, we want to we want to celebrate when we have new small group leaders. We want to celebrate when people are like, yeah, I'll be an apprentice. We want to celebrate when we multiply our small groups. That means that we're actively bringing others to God's love, and we're repeating it. Number of leaders sent. Here's what I know. We're going to bless and send people that are going to move out, and they're never going to come back. Meaning this, missionaries. Maybe church planners out of this church. Come on, maybe worship leaders that go on and are developed in our church that go on to another assignment. That just means we are repeating and being leaders and repeating what God has told us to do, reproducing ourselves and empowering. So we're going to look at the number of leaders that we've sent and celebrate it when we send others and we bless others to new assignments that maybe aren't keeping them local to our community and our church. But we want to be ascending church, amen? And then lastly, overall church growth. I made, I, I made a joke about it at the beginning, the butts and seats. But how many of you guys know that's a, a helpful measurement? We want to be a church that grows. And if we're not a church that's growing, uh, we want to Pay attention and figure out why aren't we growing. We need to pay attention to that because, once again, we come under the threat of closing our doors if we don't actually stay faithful and focused and on mission. So we're going to pay attention to those things because we want to be a church that grows. And then when we reach our capacity into the blessing of a building that we have, we want to be a church that plants other churches. Anyone and everyone. Everyone. Everybody's like, well, everyone in Ponca City, right? No. We're talking about the globe. We're talking about the fact that God has a big vision, and we're on board with that vision. Come on, somebody. We're talking about beyond the capacity that our vision has capped off. We want to go, and we believe, and we understand that if we do it, and we're faithful, and we're focused, we can accomplish anything because God is on our side. Come on. Come on, church. So that is how we are going to practically measure. So let's, let's recap before we close here. Our family reputation. Genuinely understand God's love with our mind. We're going to celebrate when you genuinely understand or feel God's love for others with our heart, when we actively spread God's love with our feet, actively bring others to God's love and repeat. Head, heart, feet, repeat. Head, heart, feet, repeat. Does that make sense? I was like really focused on making this something easy to remember. You know what I mean? It's like, who's going to remember this, right? But it's got to, it's got to make the full transfer, you guys. And here, here's what some of our next, best next steps will be. Where is there a blockade? Maybe it's between the head and the heart for you. Maybe you're a person, you've kind of understood God's love, but you're realizing that, man, maybe you're a little callous towards the world right now. Maybe God wants to inform some areas where God wants to help heal. Maybe, maybe some unforgiveness that you have against another human being. Maybe God wants to minister in that way. Maybe you're a person that you just feel a passion for God's people, but you're not just actively being obedient to what God's calling you to do. Maybe you've been a person that you've been actively in the church, but you've been sitting around actively doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, but you know God's calling you to a new place of leadership to multiply yourself, right? So it's so helpful because we can understand and this can become a paradigm for us personally, not only measure ourselves in terms of, hey, how are we doing as a church body and family, but how is this happening in our lives personally? Because the reputation that we want to have is somebody that lives this and becomes a witness of Jesus to others. Next week, uh, we're going to be transitioning into what we call Team Sunday. So wear your sports gear if you haven't heard already. We're going to celebrate, uh, give a yearly update. 
talk about this team, this family uh, called Ponca City Church, and um, we're going to encourage you to wear your sports gear and your jerseys. I'm going to be uh, repping my Seahawks. Come on, somebody. Yeah, nobody. Um, but I got the platform. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no. Uh, so anyway, wear your sports gear. It doesn't have to be football. Just wear your favorite team. We're going to come to church, uh, and we're gonna, just going to get excited about what God's doing. Um, and we're going to use this rubric to see how we did in 2017. Let's take this and begin applying it. But here's what I know. We're, we're a lot more focused. So we're, I'm going to believe that 2018 is going to be a much more fruitful year than this past year because now we have the focus to accomplish what God's called us to do as a congregation uniquely. Amen? Our family goal. Let's get it up there as we close. Adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. And I want to end on the verse that we started with this morning, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. For those of you who maybe stepped into relationship with Jesus, you have become a witness to a God who is real, a God who has impacted your life in a way that changed maybe the trajectory of your life. I know that God did that for me. In areas of my life that didn't measure up, I realized God came in, God swooped in. God came in as that heavenly father, wrapped his arms around me. I love the story of the prodigal. Even after a season where it just felt like God off course, this, this person who disobeyed his parent, who took an inheritance and abused the blessing that he was given, took advantage of all these different things, went to a season of complete waywardness, right? comes back to his father in this beautiful scene the scriptures tell us of a father who's waiting for his child with arms wide open. You know that that's God for us, no matter where you find yourself this morning. God is that today. Even if you're a person who's already a follower of Jesus, God is that today for you. If you're a person who says, I don't even know who Jesus is. He has the heart. Jesus came in human flesh to represent who God was. And he came to this earth with open arms, open wide, to say, I have a heart for humanity. I have a heart for you personally. And I'm just so thankful that that is the God that we worship and that is the God that we surround our church 